It says this in Genesis chapter 22, uh, 1 to 18. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So many things happening in the scripture here. Uh, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, I see the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as of the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. You may be seated. It won't happen overnight. I just want to revisit a few points to, for those of you who may not have been here or, or may not remember what we talked about last week. One of the greatest books that has been written in recent years, uh, uh, and the author just did an anniversary edition, which I just bought this week and released, uh, 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 re -re he re-released it. The author's name is Hank Hanegraaff, and the name of the book is called Christianity in Crisis. And his major concern and cause for writing the book is that in this postmodern era of Christianity, our brothers and sisters are preaching a doctrine from the pulpit that has made 
major theological flaws concerning the reality of faith. He says, Hank Hanegraaff says, there is a crisis in a sense that there has been a prostitution of the biblical concept of faith. There's been a prostitute. We've been taught that to have faith in faith. Amen. We've been taught this false doctrine of all I got to do is have faith, but we don't finish the sentence. The faith is faith in Christ. Uh, that, that's where we have to have faith in, not, not faith in faith. Uh, a lot of our preachers, our men and women from the pulpit are teaching us to have faith in faith, and that sounds good, and that makes for a great shouting message, but the reality is faith in faith will get you nowhere. You need faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what Hank Hanegraaff is talking about. He says there's been a critical compromise respecting the nature of God, and there has been a con, there has been a cover-up concerning what God requires of us. I'm here to tell you that God requires some things of us. It's more than you just going to God with your hand out. God requires some things from his children. I, I know that you think God is just going to bless me, but God requires, if we look at the text, I'm going to move on to part two, but if you look at the text, I said there's so many things in the text. If we look at even verse one and two, he tells Abraham to get up and go to a mountain that I will show you as you're, after you get up and as you're moving. A lot of you want God to show you stuff before you move. You got to read the text. Abraham had no idea where he was going until he started moving. So for some of you just waiting on the Lord, have a misconcept of what that is, you need to get up and move first. And as you move, God will show you where you need to go. And so God requires this obedience from us. I, I said earlier, I said last week, that the promise given to Abraham was actually made in Genesis chapter 10. We're now at 22, and God is asking Abraham to give him his son. But wait a minute, you told me back in chapter 10 that I was going to be a mighty nation. You told me back in chapter 10 that, that, that my seed would be blessed and I would multiply. Lord, I even moved Ishmael out of the household because that wasn't the right son. So you told me back, and now you're asking for my son? You're asking for my only son? You see, here's the thing. you got to understand, God was not playing tricks on Abraham. God is not playing tricks on you. God wants the seat that your most precious thing occupies. Y'all missed that. Whatever is the most precious to you, God wants that seat before he can bless you mightily. He knew that to Abraham, Isaac was his most precious thing. And he said, let me see. If you're going to give back to me what's most precious to you, and when I find out if you can do that, then I will bless you with the promise that I promised you 10 chapters ago. The reason why God hasn't blessed some of us is because we still have something occupying the seat that God wants to occupy. Oh, I know I'm preaching. I know I'm preaching. You come to church week after week and Sunday after Sunday, and you won't give God the most precious seed in your life. And so that's where we are in the text. It's 10 years that's gone by. Isaac is not a child. And Isaac is not a little boy. Isaac is, is older. He's old enough to ask questions. 
He's old enough to say, Dad, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We walking up on this mountain. I see the wood. I see the fire. But where is the sacrifice? So you know that he's at least a, a, a late teen. At minimum, he's a preteen. And so now he's asking his dad. His dad says, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. <laughs> I, I often skip this point, but I got to go back to it in the text. If you notice that while moving along, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump forward to where we need to be, I promise. But if you notice that while moving along, there were some people that he had to leave behind. He started with a bunch of people on his journey. Then as he climbed the mountain, the text says that, that, that he told a couple of folks, you stay here with the donkey. Right? Let me... The, the, the text says jackass, right? You, in other words, on your way to your promise, there's some people and jackasses you got to leave behind in order to get where God has called you to be. You can't get to where you're supposed to go with jackasses and people that God told you leave behind. He said, y'all stay here. Y'all can't go any further. There's some people in your life that you got to say, no, no, you can't rock with me no more. You can't go any further with me anymore. It's not that I don't like you, I don't love you, I don't appreciate you, but you've got to stay here because I'm on my way to a promise that I can't get as long as you're traveling with me. Right? I don't know who that's for, but some of y'all better leave some folk behind after this week. So part two, I want, I want to show you what this teaches us, and you can start writing some of these things down. I got about 20 minutes, right? Man, I forgot to start my timer, but anyway, here we go. The first thing that the text teaches us that I read is that the assignments are tied to a place, all right? The assignment that God has given you is tied to a place. There is an assignment on everybody's life that is a believer, it's not just for me, it's for you. Everybody that's a believer, you have an assignment. The preacher is not the only one called to assignment. Just because you haven't figured yours out doesn't mean that you don't have one. Doesn't mean that it does not exist. You were born with an assignment. You were born again with an assignment. That's why nobody is an accident. Because God doesn't have accidental assignments. I don't care how you got here. I don't care nothing about your mom and your dad. I don't care. No, no, no. You are not an accident, right? Your parents were just the vehicle that God used to get you here. That's all they were. So stop expecting them to be perfect. They're not perfect. You're not a perfect parent. They're just a vehicle. And so you're on assignment. You weren't an accident, right? So however, the fulfillment of the assignment is predicted upon proper placement. Whether you fulfill your assignment or not, what I'm trying to say, Cornerstone, is dependent on whether you are placed or allow yourself to be placed properly, right? So, so believe me. Read the Bible. Everybody who had a calling could not fulfill the calling until he or she got to a certain place. Ah. Hadassah later changed her name to Esther, could not fulfill her assignment until she got in the palace. 
and I got some Esthers, I got some Hadassas at the sound of my voice. You're on assignment, but you have not allowed God to place you properly, and so you'll never fulfill your assignment. Ah, I got King David. He was anointed king, had no idea where his kingdom was, but could not fulfill his assignment until God properly placed him. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. You are on assignment, but you'll never fulfill it until you allow God to place you where you should be. Stop arguing with God. That's not my strength. Shut up. That's not what I want to do. Shut up. How do you argue with your creator? God knows what, you, you know, God will never call you to your area of strength because if you get to your area of strength, you will take the credit for the elevation. God will always call you to do something that you cannot do without him and elevate you to heights that you never thought possible. So that he gets the glory out of your life. So Abraham's on this assignment, man. He's got to get to this place. He left some folks behind. He got, his own, he got his most prized possession, his son. His son, his only son. Right? And so he's there. And so, and so, and so he had to get there. You know, uh, 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 he had to get there. And so, not, 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 so, so there's part of you. So there, there, there's, there's a part of you that has to understand that assignments are tied to a place. Now, now, now here's the part you're not going to like. You can't choose the place. Let me, I, I, this, this, this is the part of the sermon you ain't going to like. You can't choose the place of your assignment. You can't choose it. You can't choose the place of your assignment, right? You, you, you can't do it. I, I, I got another one for you. God chooses the place, and most of the time, the place is somewhere you don't want to be. And I say that again? God chooses the place, and it's usually someplace you don't want to be. You think Abraham felt like climbing a mountain with his son? He didn't want to be there. He, he want to be there. Now, you know, it's a place we don't want to be. Watch the text. God tells Abraham to go to a region of Moriah, to a mountain that I will tell you as you get there. The word tell you is a bad translation of the original text. The more accurate, accurate translation is show you. So go into the land of Moriah, and as you go, I'm going to show you something. Go to the region of Moriah. The word go is in the present tense indicative, right? It shows us in the future tense. In other words, God said to Abraham, I've got something to show you, but I'm not going to show you until you go. And God is saying, I have a revelation to show you, but I want to see if you trust my direction. That's what he's saying. Do you trust my direction, Cornerstone, without having all of the answers? I'm talking to the couples in the room, the, the individuals in the room. Do you trust God's direction without having all the answers? Go to the land of Moriah to a place that I'll show you 
after you go. You may not even like the direction, but Abraham, I can't even tell you what's next until you start to go. Abraham is given an instruction without knowing all the answers. He knows it's Moriah, but he doesn't know which mountain to go to until he gets to Moriah. And I know we can't shout right now because in the 21st century postmodern Christianity, we are sign-driven. The Lord told me to start my own business. Well, what are you waiting for? Pastor, I'm waiting for a sign. God told you to go back to school. Why do we get real deep? We got to wait for a sign. I got to wait on confirmation. That, that, that's, that's why some, 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 you have to study. You have to go deep in the word. You need a ream of word. And sometimes we sit around in our prayer time and say words like, God is God. I'm going to trust you. And when you show me, I'm going to move. God didn't show Abraham anything. He just told him to move. God is looking back at you, and you asking God to show me, and then I'm going to move. God is looking back at you and saying, if you trust me, then I'll show you. God is saying, I want to see if you trust me, even if I don't show you everything up front. Watch this, because if God says, if I give you everything up front, there's no need for you to trust me. There's no need for you to stay in touch with me. And what I am after is not just blessing you. God says, I'm not just after blessing you. God says, I'm after a relationship with you. And, in a, and a relationship with you can't happen with just one encounter. I've got to do something that will make you stay in touch with me. See, we, we think God is just after have blessing us. No, God is after a relationship with us. If God showed us everything up front, we wouldn't stay in contact with him. I'm about to mess somebody up. God, God told me to move and to plant a church in Millville. Y'all know I ain't from Millville. I ain't got no family in Millville. I ain't got no cousins that live in Millville. I don't know why God told me to plant a church in Millville, but I trusted God and I made the move. And when I got here, he started connecting me to beautiful people like yourself and hooking me up with people because God says when you trust me uh, without all of the answers, I'll begin to bless you in ways that blow your mind. That's what he did. Here's another thing Abraham knows, the assignment, right? The assignment, which is sacrifice Isaac. But he doesn't know which mountain. Listen, Cornerstone, there are three mountains of Moriah, right? You have to understand, when he went to Moriah, it was three mountains of Moriah. And if he doesn't stay in touch with God and knows, and, and, and knows the assignment, if he doesn't stay in touch with God, he will choose the mountain. He has to understand that God will choose the mountain. And, and if Abraham chooses the mountain, he may not choose the right one, right? And there ain't nothing worse than trying to do the right thing on the wrong mountain, there's nothing worse than trying to do the right thing in the wrong place. There's nothing right. God, God, God help me. There's nothing worse than trying to do the right thing in the wrong place. Dangerous thing to do what God called you to do, but, but you're trying to do it in a place that God did not call you to be. I know preachers who started to preach, and then six weeks later, they wanted to start a church in their home, and nobody but their wife and kids, and three months into it, they still ain't got nobody but him, his wife, and children. And they're trying to figure out what's wrong and why people aren't, aren't showing up. They're doing the right thing on the wrong mountain, right? Right? Ladies, I know ladies that think their biological clock is ticking and instead of waiting for the right man, they just choose the man right now. Everybody got quiet. You see that? I ain't going to choose Mr. Right. I'm going to choose Mr. Right now. And then you end up choosing Mr. Right now 
right? And then you mess up what God had in store for you, right? Uh, and, and Mr. Right Now, and Prince Charming turns out to be Freddy Krueger because you had to pick Mr. Right Now, right? Might not be anything wrong with the brother. Maybe, maybe, maybe just trying to do the right thing on the wrong mountain. Maybe you took a job because it made more money, and now you're finding out that it has more problem than the money is worth, and you catching hell on your job. Maybe it wasn't the right job. Maybe you're trying to do the right thing on the wrong mountain. But I, I, I should have a witness in here that can testify that there's nothing like doing the right thing on the right mountain. It might not be as big as your mountain, but it's my mountain, and I'm doing the right thing on my mountain. Might not be as fancy, but it's mine. It's not, might not be as expensive, but it's mine. You've got to learn to do the right thing at the right mountain. Number two, can you imagine the pain that comes with the pilgrimage of the process? Imagine the pain that comes with the pilgrimage of the process. If you've ever read the book by Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities, uh, uh, you should read that book. It's, he says, it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. The age of wisdom and at the same time it's the age of foolishness. Epic of belief and an and, and epic of nonsense. When you read that book, you will discover about Dickens and what he is saying is that life is a, is a table of living in two opposites. And, and, and that success of life, watch this, is not trying to live in one or the other, but that success of life is knowing how to live in both, sometimes at the same time in such a way that your attitude doesn't give way to whatever city you're living in. I don't know, I, I don't know if, 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 if Dickens had any good theology, but that's pretty good theology right there. Because faith in God and the success of a blessed life is not trying to live in all the good. The blessed life is knowing that sometimes you have good and bad, but people won't know which one you're dealing with at the time because you're praising God all the time. Listen. It might look like I'm catching hell, but my attitude is I'm living in heaven. It may look like I don't have it all together, but this faith in God helps me navigate two cities at the same time because I'm a man of purpose and promise, and I'm trusting God even in the pain of the process, the pain of the pilgrimage and process. Watch this, right? Abraham, Abraham says to this guy, he said, you stay there. The boy and I are going to go to worship. He says, we'll be right back. And, 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 and that's what caught me about Abraham. He said, we're going to worship. Y'all missed that. He had an assignment to go sacrifice his son. But he tells everybody, we're going to worship. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll say it to this side. He told everybody, that we're going to sacrifice. I mean, he, I, I, he knows he has to go sacrifice his son, but he tells everybody, I'm going to worship, right? I'm going to worship. Look, look at what God, God look at what God makes him carry to worship. Now, I, I'll stop here for, for today. Look what God makes him carry to the worship service. The fire, the wood, and the knife. 
The fire, the wood, and the knife are the ingredients that would be used to kill Isaac. So God makes them carry into worship the stuff that has a potential to kill and cause pain. I, I don't, God, may, <laughs> when you come to worship, you ought to carry the stuff that has the potential to kill you and, and cause pain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I come to worship sometime. I come to worship with, the, with stuff that is potentially killing me and causing me pain. I bring it to the place of worship. I don't keep it home. I bring it to the place of worship. Got to study this text and, and look at it. I, I wish I would have been a better preacher. I wish I'm a better preacher. You would have got that. God makes them carry into worship stuff that has the potential to kill and cause pain. What will you do when God makes you carry that stuff that could kill you? What, may, what will you do when God makes you carry your hurts into worship? Stuff you can't leave in the car. You've got to carry your issues and your burdens and your struggles and your problems that have a potential to kill you and cause harm. You've got to bring them into worship. Uh, 21st century Christians stay home when they got a bellyache. Everything got to be great for a 21st century to, uh, Christian to come to church. Now you better learn to get here when you're struggling. You better learn to get here with the stuff that's killing you. You better learn it. Ain't no time to take, ain't no time. Well, I'm good, church. You know, I don't feel like it this morning. I'm tired. Bring your tired butt to the altar. Bring your tired self to the altar and let God handle it. Let God handle it. All kinds of excuses to stay home. Look at what God makes him carry. Okay. What do you do when God won't let you leave it in the car? God calls you into worship carrying your burdens and your issues and struggles, problems that have the potential to make you lose your mind. What do you do when God makes you to carry stuff that can kill you? I don't know who I'm talking to in here today this morning, but sometimes you got to carry things that will make you lose your mind. Woke up this morning, you go to church, you've been singing all the praise and worship songs, you lift up your hands and praise, but the person next to you doesn't know all the stuff that you carried into the worship, right? There is somebody in here right now that has been clapping and singing and rejoicing, but the truth of the matter is you carried some stuff that might kill you. You might be carrying a bad marriage. You might be carrying a physical illness. You might be carrying a financial struggle. You might be carrying an incarcerated child. You might be carrying unemployment. You might be carrying some warrants for your own arrest. You might be carrying a job that you can't stand, but you should know that you still have to rejoice. Joyce, because with all of that you're carrying, you still came in here to worship. With all of that you're carrying, you still came give give God some praise. I got. I wish I had about 15 people in here that can shout, Pastor, I'm carrying some stuff that should have killed me, but it won't stop my praise. It won't stop my praise. The Lord has been good to me. I will rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. 
I will, I will, I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to stop there. That's part two. I'll give you part three next week. Give God some praise.